So you have to engage that diversity that's in your organization to bring out those perspectives and get those different ideas so that you can be innovative because you're, you're trying to do things differently. Welcome to this new installment of the Ghost Founder Shorts, today with James McKim. James is a impressive leader with a list of accomplishment as long as my arms uh, is, but here's a short summary. He is a sought after organizational performance igniter, a proven author, change manager, and he is helping organizations exceed performance goals. Um, James is currently writing his first book and his company is called Organizational organizational ignition and you can find it on organizationalignition.com james thank you so much for taking the time and being here today with me i really appreciate it well thanks for the uh, opportunity to, to to chat with you and your audience and um james you're here today to talk about us uh, to talk to us about diversity as a competitive advantage not just a feel-good factor and i know that you have spent your entire career in this field kind of um, defining uh, what is diversity how do you not just um, use it kind of or how do you you know how do you not i guess use it as a um, as something to you know put yourself above others uh, one company says oh we're so diverse we're so great but how do you actually use it um, in a business context to really bring about um, change but also bring about yeah, lack of a better word, uh, profitability for the company. So six, organizational success, as we, as I guess we could say. Right. First and foremost, how have you learned what you will talk to us about today? Uh, well, a lot of different ways. Uh, I've learned through, uh, through a lot of reading. Um, as you can see behind me, I've got a, a library of books uh, that, I, that I've read and um, varied, varied fields from uh, business to uh, to social justice, uh, to science, to philosophy. So reading a lot. Uh, and there, there's so many books coming out all the time uh, that are, are of interest to me and, and interest to, I think, any anybody who really wants to be um, up on the latest theories and methodologies around business and uh, around um, social social change. So a lot of reading has gone into this. Uh, also just experience. Um, I, I'm one of those, and I think you'll find many leaders have trouble saying no. <laughs> when you're asked to do something, yes. when you ask something, uh, we just say yes. And that, that leads to experiences that can be very unexpected, but, but wonderful experiences, very enriching experiences. So uh, I started out my career as a programmer analyst with a degree in computer science and a degree in philosophy. And yeah, and I, and I saw you went to Dartmouth College, right? I, I did. I was graduated from Dartmouth College. And of course, Dartmouth is uh, where the computer language basic was created by uh, um, uh, Tom Kurtz and um, our former president. Um, now I'm liking on his name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, but anyway, um, so well-known in computer science, um, John Kemeny, um, so well-known in computer science, uh, but a well-known um, liberal arts institution. And yes. it, it's, it's in that liberal arts nature that, that I fell in love with. And it, it teaches us to be broad in our exploration of the world. And so that, that philosophy is what, what's carried me through and why I've dabbled in things as different 
as diverse as from social justice to philosophy to computer science. And you know, I like to joke that with my two degrees, um, I can describe what a bit and a byte is, and I can theorize to their existence. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So just experiences also from working for technology companies to working for nonprofit companies and, and progressively going through leadership roles. And now as a consultant working uh, with C-suite and, and leadership in many different organizations across the world. Perfect. Wonderful. So um, the topic that you're uh, educating us on today is let's say, to say it lightly, it's a loaded subject, right? Diversity, social justice, inclusion, equality, equity. And so let's start at the beginning. Um, what do these terms even mean? Or actually, I guess everybody has an idea what they mean, but how are we going to define them for our conversation today? So for our conversation today, uh, let's start with the term diversity. And so many people, when they hear that term, they think about racial diversity and many just think black versus white. Um, but I really love the definition that Marilyn Lober from Johns Hopkins Institute came up with in 1991. Uh, she coined the, the concept of a diversity wheel. And in this wheel, she centers the personality of an individual. And what she said was, every individual has different characteristics or attributes. And one of those characteristics is race, one's ethnicity, one's gender, one's age. Um, and she said there are uh, characteristics that are what she called physical for us or internal for us. So race and age and gender, those things that, are, are, that don't change over our lifetimes, mm -hmm. those are the physical uh, characteristics or attributes. But then there's also uh, what she called secondary attributes, which are things like, what's our income? What's our marital status? Where do we live geographically? Right? Mm -hmm. um, how do we think? What's our religion, if we have one? So those things that can change, are, they're more malleable over our lifetimes, but they're still characteristics that describe us and our personality. Mm -hmm. When we're thinking about diversity, we're really thinking more broadly than just race and ethnicity or the gender. We're thinking about the characteristics that make us and individuals. So if we start with that premise, then we ask, so what is this term equity that we hear? Mm -hmm. And so many people confuse equity with equality. You know, this nation was founded, the United States at least, was founded on the notion that all citizens should be equal and have equal rights under the law. And that's a great vision to have. Yes. What is challenging though, as we try to perfect this union that we have is not everyone is treated equally at this point because of our history. And sure. this is true in, in countries around the world, there are people who have not been treated equally. So they don't have that equal stance. They're not treated equally. So the question then becomes, how do we get to a place where everyone is treated equally? Well, this is where equality is different, uh, equity is different. Equity is treating someone the way that they need to be treated to succeed or to, mm -hmm. to prosper. So that by definition means 
unequal treatment because we are all individuals. We all have strengths and weaknesses. We just talked about the characteristics. We all have different characteristics that make up our personalities. So we can't really treat everyone equally and have an equal society where equal rights are attained. We have to have equitable treatment of mm -hmm. individuals. So with diversity and equity defined, we then move to inclusion. And it, it's a term that we throw around so much, but we don't yeah. think about what it really means and how we have to, what we have to do to achieve it. So a definition that I really love uh, comes from the Association of American Colleges and Universities that says that inclusion is the active, ongoing engagement of different of people with different uh, diverse backgrounds. So keywords there, active, you have to be active. You can't just say, well, I accept lots of different people. You have to actively engage with different people and engage in a way that is uh, not just tolerant, but actually embracing the differences of people. Mm -hmm. So when you do that, and this is where I, I, what I call the formula for high-performing and inclusive teams, and research has borne out that these high-performing teams exhibit equitable inclusion of diverse people. So that mm -hmm. ties the three definitions together in, a, and I think, a nice, a nice neat uh, formula, a nice, neat way to think about it. Equitable inclusion of diverse people. Right. That's, that's, that's brilliant. I like it. Yes. So given the uh, definitions that you're given, that, that makes sense. But <laughs> it, if you would wake me up at 3 a.m. in the morning and ask me again what it was, it would, it would be tough to, <laughs> to sum it up as concisely as you just said. Um, so one question that uh, pops into my mind is, um, you know, there's, yes, equity, treating people the way they need to be treated so that they can succeed. However, is it possible that everybody achieves the same success? Or may, is it? I don't question mark. Well, how do we avoid kind of this, what I, at, least, at least currently, what I think is kind of the fallacy of like forcing equal outcome? Because can we really all, you know, be exactly the same, have the same life? Like that doesn't really seem realistic. Right. So there's a difference between... Um, a life goal or a set of goals and how we treat people. Mm -hmm. Sure. So the, the, everyone has a different life goal. So um, not everyone is gonna achieve the same things. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to define success for themselves. But when, we, and when it comes to behavior, we want everyone to be treated. And this, this is where we talk about the golden rule and sometimes even the platinum rule. Everyone wants to be treated equitably, right? And sometimes the, the golden rule says treat, treat others or do unto others. And there, there are many variations of the golden rule for different societies. But in, in the essence of it is treat others the way that you would like to be treated, right? That's the golden rule. But the platinum rule says treat people the way that they would like to be treated. Mm. So when we talk about living in a society where there is equality and equity uh, or equality, we have to look at what does the other person mean by success? Yeah. 
And then you throw that into the business, the organizational context where the organization is trying to succeed. And then we're talking about how do we get people to work together to treat each other in a way such that the organization is going to succeed, whatever that definition of success is for the organization, according to its goals and objectives. So, and individuals make up the core of the organization. So this is where good management uh, skills and theories come into to play for an organization. And that is the perfect segue, I guess, to my question. Um, what exactly does your company do? <laughs> so what we do is we help organizations to ignite their performance through the alignment of people, process, and technology. So we'll, we'll work with the senior leadership team for an of an organization. Uh, we have an assessments tool that we, we, uh, we bring to bear and we uh, get a 360 view of all of the stakeholders in the organization, how they are currently interacting, how, uh, what, what the people skills are, what the policies and procedures are, uh, what the business strategy is, uh, and how technology is being leveraged to support all those. And, and we're, we're in this, uh, this uh, date and age now where there's a lot of talk from the technology space around digital transformation. How do you use technology to really make your business operate 24 by seven, even when the people aren't at, in the office, right? So we assess an organization and help develop a, a strategic plan that will help the organization achieve whatever the goals are that it has established for itself. And hopefully it has, and if it hasn't, then we'll work to help the organization establish its, its long-term goals or three to five year goals at least. Very well. Um, so random question that pops into my head is, um, so with, with the pandemic and increased work from home, uh, was that a overall, is this an overall benefit to, the cause of achieving equity, or is it a just like is a detracting factor? What do you think? I think it's actually an overall benefit because it's it's made people take stock of what's important to them, mm -hmm. and and we, many Absolutely. of us have been quarantined, if you will, in our in our homes. So we've gotten to know our children better. We get gotten to know our family members better. It's that work life balance that. I see in so many organizations have gotten out of kilter BC before COVID, right? So COVID forced us to think about what's most important to us and people, people were dying around us. Sure. Die around you, you think more about life, <laughs> but what is really important to you. So I think this, and, and it's interesting to think about uh, in the grand scheme of things, how mother nature over millennia, millennia over our, our planet's existence and the universe's existence has kind of corrected what's been happening, what, what people on, the, on Earth have, have been doing to this planet and to, to ourselves. And so you can think about, well, Mother Nature kind of stepped in and said, no, you're spending too much time thinking about things that aren't important to you. I'm going to give you COVID. I'm going to give you this pandemic to force you to stop and reprioritize what's important for you in your life. So I, I think it, it's been a tremendous uh, last blessing. And I, I, I by no means uh, want to, to say that I, I wish the harm, wish the, the illness and the, 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 the death that's happened uh, for, for people through the pandemic, but 
Um, I'm a silver linings guy. I'm an optimist. Um, and, and I think it, it's just done a, a, it's been, uh, been a real catalyst for a lot of, of uh, rebalancing of lives. And we're seeing companies uh, saying that, well, we're not going to go back full time in person. Mm -hmm. We're going to be more flexible because we, yeah. can, we now know we can do it. Before, many people said, we don't think we can do it. We don't know. Yeah, right. No. Um, but with, with Zoom and with WebEx has been around for a while, a lot of these video conferencing technologies have been around for ages. I used to work for HP. I worked for Digital Equipment Corporation, lots of big corporations. We had video conferencing. We've had it for over a decade. We've right. been using it somewhat, but everyone was forced to use it and learn that it, it, you can actually work and be very productive uh, from home. Yeah, very good. Um, so I think we set up the uh, your your mini keynote very well. Um, so I would just like to uh, yield the floor to you and educate us on why diversity is not just good from a social justice perspective, but also from a business perspective. Or put another way, diversity as a competitive advantage, not just a field factor. Right. So. When we say that phrase diversity, we really are encompassing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And belonging is, is a, a new uh, concept that's also coming there because diversity, equity, and inclusion are all toward creating an environment and a culture where people feel like they can belong. And we know from research that when people feel like they can belong, they're gonna be their authentic selves and be the most productive as individuals. So from an organizational perspective, when we say that use the term organizational performance, what are we talking about? We're talking about based on the organizational assessment framework for improving performance that was developed by uh, Lusanis and a bunch of uh, other, a number of other folks. Um, we're talking about looking at effectiveness of an organization, efficiency in an organization, relevance for an organization, and finally, what most people focus on is the financial performance of the organization. So with organization performance, we're looking at all four of those and diversity, equity, and inclusion has a role to play in each of those. Now McKenzie and PricewaterhouseCoopers and a number of the major consulting firms have done research that has shown that organizations that have leadership, a diverse leadership, uh, will outperform or more likely as they the term they use, the statistical term, are more likely to outperform their peers uh, for the, um, racial and ethnic diversity. Those organizations outperform their peers by about 21%. For gender diversity, more gender diversity, uh, the, the difference is about 24%. And that's globally, right? So the data shows that organizations financially will perform better, but also in terms of innovation, um, ideation, there's research that shows from the World Economic Forum that diverse organizations also produce more new ideas. And why is that? Because the more diverse the people are in the organization, the more perspectives they bring. And remember diversity, we're defining that broad definition, not just black or white or, or gender, but the characteristics that make up an individual. So the more experiences that are brought to bear, the more ideas that are going to, to flow. Uh, and 
this is where it's not just about the diversity. It's not just about having a number of different people with diverse backgrounds, but they have to be included. They have to feel like they can contribute and they have to be encouraged. Inclusion, active inclusion, active engagement with diversity. So you have to engage that diversity that's in your organization to bring out those perspectives and get those different ideas so that you can be innovative because you're, you're trying to do things differently. And continuous improvement uh, as, a, as an approach is always important. And bringing that diversity and that, um, that innovation is, is what makes organizations be able to, to have that competitive advantage over their clients or their, or their competition. And also to reach different markets. Think about this. If your market is only the predominant race in your country, how many people are you leaving out? Sure. Are you going to reach your true market potential? Probably not. So from a, just a market perspective, you want to have this diversity and this diverse notion because then you're going to attract and achieve a greater market penetration. Um, so from a financial performance perspective, from the innovation perspective, from an efficiency perspective, if you want to be efficient, you need to have ideas on how to improve your efficiency. And that's going to come from the people in the trenches because they know where the problems are. Right? Efficiency and effectiveness, both. To be more effective, you need to have an understanding, a great understanding of your clients. And if your client base or customer base is, is a broad customer base, we just talked about market share, you have to have people in the organization who can understand those people in a very visceral sense, not just an, as an intellectual sense, but in a visceral sense. And if you wanna connect with those people, if you want your organization to connect with that broad, diverse customer base or audience base, well, guess what? There's something called an affinity bias. An affinity bias is a bias that says, we like to deal with, and we prefer to deal with people who are like us. So if your organization doesn't have people who are like your customers or your clients, guess what? They are not going to connect with you as well as if you had people in your organization who did look like them, who were like them. So there's so many different facets to this from the efficiency, effectiveness, um, relevance, and the financial performance perspectives that uh, this is where diversity, equity, inclusion really creates for each organization a competitive advantage. Wonderful. Um, so when you, I mean, you gave us a, a quick rundown of your background earlier. Um, just uh, how long have you been in business for yourself? Like how long have you been an entrepreneur? So I started my first business in 1994 um, and it was a consultancy um, around um, information technology strategy. Um, I, after doing that, I said, well, you know what? I'm doing this consulting on IT strategy with C-level folks, but I never played the role. <laughs> So I actually took a position with, uh, with uh, the first organization. This is Dean Kamen's first robotics competition organization. And uh, I ran the IT function uh, at first for four years. Um, and then I, um, during that time, I also uh, co-founded a uh, company that uh, developed a 
asset tracking product and service. Um, so we've got the product uh, product kind of technology um, formulation or entrepreneurship under my under my belt. And we ran that company for a number of years and, and then sold it off. Um, and then I went to work for HP for a number of years to, to get some more corporate experience and, and just see what was going on in, in a slightly different space, learning and development space. So I helped to develop uh, learning and development strategies globally for HP for, for nine years. Uh, and then I left to start this latest consulting practice, looking at the big picture of organizations and the strategy from a, a big picture perspective. Uh, and so started that a couple of years ago and I've been growing that uh, and it's going really well. Uh, I've been growing that ever since. Wonderful. And so um, focusing on your latest uh, venture, Organizational Ignition, um, do you call it Organizational Ignition or OrganizationalIgnition.com? Is that is it just just organizational ignition? We're not a dot com company. We're not. <laughs> Good. I'm always I'm always drawn to call everything dot com because I see the URL. Um, but so just thinking about that venture, how did you find your first clients? Right. So this is a very basic entrepreneurship question, but it's very essential to a lot of people who want to get started. You know, with their own business. Absolutely. So um, similar to the way that. Um, you find your next job. I mean, people who understand how to find a job know that only 15% of jobs are found by looking at job postings. 85% are found through networking, right? So that's the same thing in the consulting space and how I found my first clients, you know, consult and uh, networking. Who, it's who you know. And I had established relationships over the years uh, with folks and uh, just being out there and letting them know that I was on my own and having a value proposition uh, to present to folks and to share with folks and ask folks to spread um, is, 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 is necessary for that vehicle of who you know, that's the networking, right? So um, it was through networking and actually through a relationship I had already had um, with, uh, with a, a vendor from HP and from that I'd actually worked with for years and years, um, I let them know that I was on my own and what I was doing. And they said, well, we'd love to have you work with this client we have. Um, so got connected that way. And that was uh, my first, first client. Great. So your advice is, especially for younger folks, first go for about a 25 year career in corporate America and then... <laughs> And then you know all the people and you can easily start your own consulting business. Yeah, you know, and, and so my story is one story and a lot of people get their start that way. But uh, there's so many people I, I, I know who have started a business just in their basement, right? Of Founders of HP um, got their start from just building electronic test equipment in, their, in a garage that's now yeah. memorialized. I mean, it's been 60 years since they started that. But HP calls the HP garage. We call it the HP garage, and it, it's it, it's holy ground for the company, right? Because sure. it celebrates that entrepreneurial spirit that that uh, David and 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 John had, uh, Hill and Packard had to start our company. That is now a global company, um, grew to three hundred fifty thousand employees worldwide from yeah. just that that garage, right? Right. 
Um, so, so many different ways to, to start a, a business, uh, and especially in this dot-com era, <laughs> you can start a million-dollar business, <laughs> not even in your garage, in your jammies, in your PJs, in your, on your laptop, your yeah. in your laptop, in the in the corner of your living room. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, we've touched on this a couple of times, but you're. Uh, you're a great guy with an impressive resume. Um, where do you find inspiration though? Because, you know, being the leader often, uh, I guess, can leave us feel uh, also, you know, wanting to be inspired ourselves. And um, do you have uh, people that you follow? Do you have something like a mentor or do you have books you can recommend? Well, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So I'm a believer that everyone needs to have a, have at least someone to follow and preferably someone who can mentor you. Um, and I have to say that I probably didn't have, not probably, I did not have a mentor for most of my career. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have had one, but I, I just didn't. And part of that, part, I think part of the reason I did not was I have such varied taste. I have such a varied set of interests that I'm not sure that I could come up with any one mentor who, who shared my same um, um, tastes and experience. But I will say that I, I do draw inspiration from reading biographies of people. Mm -hmm. And you pick, uh, pick characteristics of people and, and everyone's not good, everyone's not totally bad. So, but you keep an open mind as to where people have had success and where they've had some, um, they've had um, uh, a moral character that you admire, and mm -hmm. they leveraged that and lived into that through the work that they've done. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and I'm a philosophy major, so I, I love philosophy. So I, I, I read, um, everything from Kant to Heidegger to Aristotle to Plato. I'm, I'm an Aristotelian when it comes to thinking. Um, and I also love Bertram Russell. Mm -hmm. uh, just his way of, of, of thinking about how reality actually intersects with what we think in our minds. It was just fascinating to me. So from a way of thinking perspective, I, I read a lot of the philosophers uh, and try to glean from them um, how to think about the world. Um, I, I am a, a great admirer of Martin Luther King, uh, followed his, his career, uh, actually, because my parents were civil rights activists in the 60s in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to march with him which was uh, an experience that I will never forget. Um, after hearing him speak, uh, he was, you know, charismatic people. We, we hear charismatic people and sometimes see charismatic people speak. He was one. Um, so he, he certainly made an impact uh, on me. Um, I, I also am a big fan of and, and get inspiration from, there are certain even political leaders who are who achieved diplomat status. Um, I'm a big fan of John McCain. Um, he, he brought 
uh, an integrity and a gravitas to the Senate, uh, mm -hmm. even though those who followed his uh, biography and his, his life know that he was he he was a persnickety person to say the least. Um, but the way he treated people for the most part was uh, with with integrity and honesty and just just optimism uh, beyond belief. And so that's why he's a diplomat, just not just a, a politician. So those are the few of the people that inspired me. That's a, yeah, that's a good, it's a great list, very inspiring. Um, there was uh, one name on it that I did not recognize, um, but I did recognize uh, some of the uh, philosophers, and I believe there's they were Stoics, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm I've found, I guess, Stoicism, yeah, maybe two years ago, um, and uh, you know, kind of this ancient wisdom, but it's so current, it's so uh, applicable and important today to learn how to calm your mind, um, let go of the things that we can't control, and focus on the things that we can't control, right? And just kind of, you know, with, with COVID and everything, I thought it was so, uh, it helped me a lot to just dr drown out the noise and focus on, you know, what's important, I guess. Right, yeah, absolutely. And people, people, people have said to me, well, you're such a calming presence. It's that stoicism, right? It is stoicism, uh, yeah. Um, perfect, perfect. So one concept that um, here, you know, at Ghost Founder, we like to, uh, you know, that we beat like a dead horse <laughs> is um, achieving this so-called triangle of freedom, right? So the triangle of freedom in this context is uh, being able to work uh, independent of location, achieve financial freedom, um, and disconnecting our time, right? So have freedom of time, spend our time on what we want to spend time on rather than what we have to spend time on. Um, so what do you do in your life to try to achieve this, if anything? Oh, it's, for me, it's so important. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the balance. We talked a little bit before about work-life balance. Yeah. Right? What this triangle, the triangle actually speaks to, right? Work-life balance. You do have to be disciplined. Um, especially if you're working from home, my, my, my office door is right here, but it's in sure. my house. So I have to be disciplined to say when I'm leaving that door, when I'm going to that door, I'm closing the door, I'm not going to think about work anymore. Right. So right. that's at least that's what I tell myself. And mostly it works. The, there are the three o'clock in the morning ruminations where, oh, that's what I need to do. And I have to write it down. I write it down immediately and then I can forget it and go back to sleep. But there is that discipline that says there's a separate a physical separation between your work life and your home life, right? So that I think is critically important, that discipline uh, and that physical separation. But then there's also having hobbies that are outside of your work. And it's not that we're saying don't love your work because I love my work and I, I can get caught up in it. I can be sitting down and, and writing an article or creating a presentation and the time just flies by. So it's not that I don't love my work, but you have to be able to know that if you work all the time, your batteries will be drained. You will not be as productive, right? Uh, so um, you have to have hobbies that, uh, that you enjoy, that you also love as much. And so I, I, 
I used to play basketball in high school. I still play basketball. I'm an avid tennis fan. I'm hoping to get some tennis in this afternoon. Um, I, I watch all the, 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 the tennis that I can to, to continue to try to hone my game. Um, and so that, that's something that I, I can look forward to. And it, it helps me to stay, also stay humble that I'm not the greatest tennis player in the world, right? Well, who is? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be, I'd love to play with, I'd love to be out there playing with a, a, a Federer or something. Better or somebody, but I, I know I'm never gonna be at that level, but I know I can get better. And, and, and I surround myself with, with other, with friends who also love tennis and also are striving to improve themselves. So, uh, so there's that. Um, I also, uh, I'm a musician. Um, I play piano and guitar and I'm a vocalist in a, in a jazz band. Uh, so that also, I'm always looking to improve there. And, and it's so, it's so fun to, to be in a band with other, other folks and, and make music uh, that, that we enjoy and that others enjoy. Uh, so having those, hobbies and having that are outside of the work life um, and, and hobbies that you enjoy and really like to do that makes it less of a challenge to separate your work life from your, your, um, your, your, uh, your non-work life. Very cool. Um, so circling back to um, your business, um, I think before we started recording, we mentioned that um, you're writing a book. So maybe that's also another aspect of, you know, if you're a successful author, that's also helps hopefully income wise, uh, separating your time from your, from your income a little bit. Do you want to talk about your book a little bit? Sure. So it, uh, thanks for, for, uh, for asking. So the, the book and so many people write a book because they, they want to impart knowledge. And, and uh, I do want to impart knowledge and, the book is about all of this that we've just been talking about, right? How does uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion play into organizational performance? How does it help? Yep. Um, so I, as, as I was doing this work, I was trying to, as I said, I'm a, I'm a reader. So I was trying to find books that really talked about this juxtaposition of diversity, equity, and inclusion with organizational performance. So there are plenty of books about diversity, equity, and inclusion. There are plenty of books about organizational performance, are many, but there was, I couldn't find anything that mixed the two. So I said, well, <laughs> I'm gonna write that book. And uh, that was the genesis of the book. Uh, and so far it's, it's led me to, to be talking to a number of people and I use it, speaking about being an entrepreneur and, and getting business. So you use the book, and this is something that was taught to me by my publisher, epic author, um, Trevor Crane, that, the process of writing the book can be a way to generate business. So as you're interviewing people, gathering stories, some of these people may need your services because they're trying to achieve organizational performance. They need help, right? So right. if you're talking to them about this and you're, you're talking to them in a way that shows that you have this knowledge, this background, this experience that can help them, you can get clients. So that's, that's where, what I've been doing, uh, working with, with interviewing people, uh, peers, as well as potential clients, and I've gotten clients from that. And speaking engagements too. Speaking engagements are another way that to, to find people who need the information that you have, the knowledge you have, the skills that you have. And that's going into the book too. I, I do speeches 
and um, people come up after you and have conversations. That's uh, another interview, another introduction, more networking. Yeah. Um, and so if somebody listens to this and wants to reach out to you, how would they get in touch? Uh, they can uh, reach out and they can find us uh, through, or find me through organizationalignition.com or they can send me an email at james.mckim at organizationalignition.com and I'll respond. Love to hear from folks, so. Perfect, and then I think I found you also quite active on uh, LinkedIn, so that might be a possible other avenue. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, trying to leverage all the social media. <laughs> That's right. Well, the, some some content will come out of this that you can then happily share. Absolutely. Um, really. So that's uh, people should be excited about that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, wonderful, James. Thank you so much. Um, I learned a lot, so I know this will benefit the audience in perpetuity. Right. The beautiful thing of uh, using technology and media is that we we spend this time together once, but then it's preserved and will uh, it, it'll ripple through like water ripples when you toss a stone in the water. Um, people can listen to this uh, for eons, possibly, but at least for the next couple of years. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Levison. Great questions and a great, great uh, conversation and looking forward to doing more.